Good morning. I want to welcome you again to Warren Alliance Church, uh, those that are gathered as well as those that are watching online. Uh, we are just grateful that we can gather to worship Christ and go into his word uh, together. Uh, and uh, those of you that have been uh, following the announcements and stuff really since the first of the year, uh, we've been encouraging individuals in the congregation to, um, to actually sign up for the Mission 119 project. Uh, if you've never read through God's word, like from beginning to end, uh, this is a great tool, great resource uh, for you. Uh, or if you just want, maybe you've done that before and it's a good spiritual discipline uh, and you're just looking for some additional guidance and direction, uh, you can still sign up for that. We are in week six. Uh, I did share a physical copy of the index of scriptures. Or we just finished week six. Um, there are some folks that have the last few weeks jumped in late and have uh, been catching up, and it's not impossible to do because there's only five readings a week, uh, not a full seven. Uh, so if you double up and go through the weekends, you can be caught up in a few weeks. So I encourage you to check that out. Um, we've been intentionally these first few months trying to pull scriptures from our readings for the week. And so we uh, are transitioning. Those of you that are actually in the program at week six, you know we transitioned out of Genesis and are into the Gospel of Luke. And um, as I was planning out the series uh, for the, or messages for the, between now and Easter, uh, we have six weeks before Palm Sunday. So we're going to take six weeks in Luke. And as I thought about trying to cover the Gospel of Luke in six weeks, I thought that's impossible. Uh, but we're, what I'm going to do is just pull some highlights. Uh, so if, uh, just know you're not going to get the full picture. Uh, and we're not going to be able to dive into every aspect, obviously, in six weeks in, in the Gospel of Luke. But uh, that is where we're going to be for the next uh, five or six weeks. Uh, and then we have Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday uh, that we'll be celebrating together. But today we're going to be looking at Luke 4, uh, verses 1 through 14. Uh, and, and this specifically is the temptation of Jesus. And you may say, well, what, why is the title of Hiding God's Word in Our Heart? Uh, when you really look at this account and how Jesus responds to the temptation that he faces, it's very clear that Jesus understood the instruction from Psalm 119 of the importance of hiding God's word in, in his heart because of how quickly and how easily he was able to respond to each temptation uh, with scripture. You know, as we look at this today, I, before we even read the passage, I want to, as we read, I want you to look for two key themes. Through this passage, we see very clearly the, the central role of the Word of God in, in how Jesus faced these, this temptation. And, 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 but you also see, and this doesn't maybe stand out as quickly, but it's, if you look at the beginning and the end of this section, kind of his bookends, you see the role of the Holy Spirit in leading Jesus. Remember, if you go back to Luke 3, you know Jesus has been baptized, and at Jesus' baptism, the, the Holy Spirit fell on him as a dove. And, and now we see this scene where the Holy Spirit leads Jesus, and, and he's going out uh, into this place of temptation and, and trial for 40 days. You, you see not only a central role of God's word in how Jesus responds to temptation, but you see a central place of the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus's life. And, and this, this story of Jesus's temptation is right between his baptism, where he is filled, where the spirit comes and, and falls upon him, and his beginning of his public ministry. But let's go ahead and look at uh, Luke 4, 1 through 14, and just look for some of those themes. 
And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time of time and said to him, To you I will give all of this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all of the surrounding country. Now, most of the commentators you read about this, they'll they'll say that these three temptations that are recorded in Matthew 4, as well as in Luke 4, are not the full story of what Jesus was experiencing during these 40 days, but they were kind of the climax of these 40 days of trial and testing. And and when we look at this, there are two general observations I want to make before we look at each of the temptations and how Jesus responded. But the two general observations I think are really important for us is, as I already mentioned, the idea of the importance of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit in, in guiding Jesus and empowering Jesus through this time. Again, Jesus was baptized in the previous chapter and, and, and not only did he follow in baptism, was baptized by John the Baptist and you had the father speak and, and, and say, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased, but you have the picture of the Holy Spirit falling on him like a dove. And now the Spirit has led Jesus. In verse one, it says he was full, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then verse 14, the transition to his public ministry, it says, Jesus then returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. You know, in in our, as we look at this, it's so important that we understand the the role of of not only God's word, but the role of the Spirit. And, And really for the believer, and those of you that are maybe walking through Mission 119, and and maybe this is the first time you've systematically read through the scriptures, it's so important that we understand this is not just an intellectual exercise. We believe that the the same Spirit of God that that inspired the text illuminates the text so that when we go as believers and read God's word, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Holy Spirit guides us and directs us so that it's a living experience when we read. Over the years, I've known people who 
approached the scripture outside of a relationship with Christ and, and they were doing it as just an intellectual exercise. And, and sometimes even people who were professing to be believers and, and they had, had, had made the decision to follow Christ and yet they still approached spiritual discipline of reading God's word as just a, something to check off a list. Not an understanding of this is a living relationship where, where God's spirit, I'm giving an opportunity for God's spirit to illuminate his word so that I can apply it in, in, into my life and live in it. Jesus, we see in this chapter, one of the most important observations is the work. Did the lights just change? Okay, just didn't know if it was me. Um, the, it, we, it, we need to understand, and I just totally lost my train of thought. That's okay. Um, we need to understand the work of the Spirit as we open up God's Word each day. And one of the most powerful things you can do when you open up God's Word each day, if you're building this discipline and habit, is to ask God to speak to you. Ask God's Spirit to illuminate, to open up and help you understand His Word. And, and one of the things I've learned from a, a pastor friend of mine, uh, Paul Cope, pastor for many years in our district, he always said that he would go to God's Word every day and he would read. He didn't have a set pattern, but he would read until he knew that God gave him something specific. That's really good advice. Because it's in that moment, if we go to God's Word and say, God, I want you to speak to me today, we're, we're, we're giving an invitation for the Holy Spirit to speak to us from His Word, to give us something specific to guide us for that day. And we can see that Jesus, Jesus understood the Scripture. And of course, the, the Scripture that Jesus would have had would have been the Torah, primarily as well as the wisdom literature, the Psalms and, and Ecclesiastes and, and the prophets, the major and minor prophets, but of utmost importance would have been those first five books of the Torah. And we see in Jesus' response to each of these temptations that he understood the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. He had memorized the scriptures. Jesus' response to each temptation is, is, it is written. It's been said. Jesus responds in every situation with each of these temptations. He res responds with scripture and it gives us a very clear picture that Jesus was living out the principle that's taught in Psalm 119, 10 through 11. It says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's something about having God's word in our hearts and our minds that when we then face the temptation, we're prepared. We not only have God's spirit working in us, but we're giving God's spirit something to work with by memorizing scripture, by hiding God's word in our heart. You know, when we look at this account, we not only see the importance of God's word and how Jesus responds at each of these temptations, but, and we see the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life, and can I just say, if Jesus depended upon the Holy Spirit, how much more does that say that we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit? I mean, Jesus, again, remember, Jesus not only did something for us in the sense of a specific work, a spiritual work in his death and in his resurrection to make a way for us to be in a relationship with our creator, to be in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus also shows us how we are to live. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but he also shows us the way in how he lives his life. 
And so in, in Jesus' example in this passage, we see the importance of, of God's word. And so what I'd like, though, to do is just take a moment with this understanding of the work, work of God's spirit and the, and the, the importance of God's word in Jesus' life as he's responding to these temptations. I want us to look at each of the temptations because when we look at it, it not only shows us how to respond to temptation and the fact that he went to God's word, but when you look at each of the temptations, it also gives us a picture, I believe, of the, the manner in which Jesus approached his relationship with his heavenly father. And it highlights key themes that I think should also be in our own hearts and our own lives as we open up God's word each day and as, as we take time in, in the word and in prayer. The first temptation, and if you're paying attention, if you look at, if you know Matthew, Matthew 4 and Luke 4, you're going to see that the three temptations are in slightly different order. The second and third are flipped in Luke. Uh, but it's the same three temptations in Matthew 4 and, and Luke 4 that are presented. And in most situations, it's almost the identical, te- identical words being recorded uh, uh, describing this event. But verse, verses three through four gives us the first temptation. It says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, in some ways, there's, there's some that would say that Jesus is being, that Satan's attack here, that if you are the son of God, is, is an opportunity to maybe question Jesus' confidence in his identity as being God's son. It's not really, I think, the main focus here. I think, I think in this situation we see in this full temptation is that Satan is attacking Jesus at a point of vulnerability. I don't know how, how many of you have experience with fasting, but I, I'm guessing even those of you with experience have not got to, gotten to the 40-day mark. Um, there are studies that would say that this, that's about the limit that your body could handle. But, you know, in this account, we, we see right after the statement, and Jesus was hungry. And you're like, yeah, no surprise, 40 days, 40 days of, of fasting. Yeah, he's, he's hungry. And so in this moment, Satan is, is presenting this temptation as, if you were the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Satan's attacking Jesus, I believe, where he's vulnerable. And, and, but in, when you look at Jesus' response, there's something significant here in, in that he not only understands, he's not just proof texting, he's not just giving a verse. He understands the story, the context behind the verse, and, 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 the, and it gives us a picture of what Jesus is really saying in this moment. Because the temptation is to feed yourself. If you're hungry, you're the son of God, turn this rock Turn this stone to bread. Jesus' response, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He's, he's taking this whole account back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. I think I have that word on this, the next slide. And it says, and he humbled you. Talk, this is God's word to Israel. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, this verse is connecting back to Israel's wandering in the desert. Remember, God delivered them, miraculously delivers them from Egypt. He's leading them to the promised land. 
but they, they go through this season where, where they're uncomfortable, where they're doubting, and, and they're not walking in obedience, and they actually even start wondering and saying, you know, it wasn't really that bad in Egypt, was it? And, and you have this 40 days of, of Israel being tested, catch the 40 days, 40 days, or not 40 days, 40 years. Jesus, the, the temptation was 40 days. For Israel, 40 years, wandering in the wilderness is a time of testing. In these verses, is reminding them of that moment where, where instead of trusting God, walking in obedience to God, they doubted. And, and, and in that, God was, you have the season, not only they're testing and they're, and they're being purified before they would then enter into the promised land, in the, in the whole story, I, I love the idea that it references in this verse that he fed you with manna. Literally, the word manna means what is it? They had no idea what it was, this bread that God's providing for them in this season. God provided for them, even during this time of trial and testing, following their disobedience. He was teaching them during the season to, re, to remember that they needed to have their full trust in God, that God would provide the manna. Remember, they, they weren't allowed to gather more than a day's worth of the manna because they had to trust God for the daily bread. They weren't supposed to go out and gather a week's worth, or, and if they did, it would rot. They, they would only gather what they needed for that day. It was through this whole experience and, and, and Jesus and, and any Israelite at this time in referencing this verse would be reminded of that season in Israel's history where they were being reminded that they needed to fully trust God. They needed to walk in obedience even in those moments where they might have doubts and want to go back to Egypt. They were, they were in that in-between between being delivered from Egypt and being in the promised land. They were being reminded again and again that they needed to trust and obey God. And, and Jesus, in referencing this, is making it clear. You know, I can turn, Jesus could have easily turned that stone to bread. He could have met his physical need, but in, in referencing this verse and, and saying that man does not live by bread alone, he understood the significance of trusting God, obeying God, and walking with him. That, that God meeting our spiritual needs and us trusting him and walking in obedience is, is even more beneficial than that daily bread that we need for our physical nourishment. So I want to ask you, as you think about Jesus' example, and, and as we put this, we're kind of taking this a different approach to how we look at this, verse, this chapter today, as we think about how we approach God's word and, and what we can learn from Jesus' example here, I want to ask you, or when you approach God's word, do you open up God's word? Do you approach and prepare your heart so that what you read is something that you're going to make the choice in that moment to say, I'm going to choose to trust this truth. I'm going to choose to embrace the truth of God. I'm going to embrace God's word in my life, and I'm going to walk in obedience. Jesus understood the importance of God's word. The, the bread is significant because the bread was central to, to being physically sustained. Jesus is reminding us that it's, it's not enough to have the physical strength that we would get from bread, but that we need to have a heart that seeks to trust and obey God. To understand that we do not live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The second temptation. 
Luke 4, uh, verse 5 through 7, it says, And then the devil took him up and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. We understand that there's some sense, we understand through the scriptures that Satan elsewhere is described as the ruler of this world. In John 12 and 1 John 5, he's, he's given that description. That he's the ruler of this world. Satan does have some sense of authority, and yet, like Satan does, he'll often take something and twist it. We understand that if you look at the whole of Scripture, is that any authority that Satan has, that that authority is limited. That God is the only one, God the Father is the only one with true authority, and that Jesus in coming, Jesus coming to do the work of the Father was to come to the place where he would bring an end to Satan's power and his authority and, and, and bring an end to his reign in this world. In this moment, in a very real way, Satan's offering Jesus a shortcut. And, and Jesus is being faced with a situation of instead of having to live with this band of disciples and, and eventually work my way to Jerusalem where, where I'm going to give my life, lay down my life willingly. To die upon the cross and then, but then to trust God and, and for the resurrection in three days. You, you think about what Jesus understood, what his ministry, where it was headed. And imagine the temptation in this moment to say, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus' response, verse 8, says, And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus went, Jesus went right back to the Ten Commandments and, and understanding the significance of having only one God, there only being one God and only one that is deserving of our worship. There's only one that's deserving of our praise and, and a life of service. And Jesus understood that that was his heavenly father. Jesus, instead of choosing the shortcut, is embracing God's plan for his life and, and, and in this moment remembering that central truth that would have been a part of every Jewish person's prayer daily of the Shema. The Lord our God is one. The, the, the call to, to understand that the Lord Jehovah was one and that we only worship one true God was something that was central to the life that, that Jesus and, and, and the disciples and, and, and all of the Jewish people of that day would have, would have understood the centrality of that message. And in that moment, Jesus responds in this moment of temptation and saying, you shall, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Only the Father is deserving of our worship. But there's a second phrase to Jesus' response. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And I thought it was interesting, one of the commentaries that I read, he talked about the significance when you read the whole story of Jesus' life and think about what this temptation was being offered here of, you know, in today's world, when you look at most leaders today, if most leaders today, if they can get a shortcut to get on top, 
They're going to take it. They're going to do everything they can to get ahead. And yet Jesus was a servant leader. Jesus came to serve. Luke 22, verses 24 through 27, says that there was a dispute that arose among the disciples as to which one would be regarded as the greatest. And he said to him, Jesus said to his disciples, who are arguing about who's going to be first, who's going to be the greatest among the disciples. Jesus says in verse 25 of Luke 22, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Do you catch Jesus' words here? Jesus is at the meal table and he makes a statement and says, I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus came in embracing the Father's will, came as a servant. The temptation would have been to skip all of the skip all the sacrifice, skip all the pain, skip all of the the the, the passion in the cross. Jesus embraced the cross. He embraced the call to be a servant to all mankind, to all of humanity. And Jesus gives us a, a model, an example of being one who serves. And, and so when we think about this temptation, as we think about how we approach God's word, there, there's something about approaching God's word in our time with God daily that we examine our hearts and our lives to say, is there any way in my, is there any place in my life where I'm not serving God alone? where I'm putting something else in a place that only God should be. My career, my hobby, my personal interests, whatever it might be. We, we, we put so many things in our life that sometimes even good things we can put ahead of God. And Jesus reminds us in, in this response, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve, is, is we need to have a single-hearted devotion to worshiping God. And, and honestly, this is, this is one of those things that I think transforms the person who's a Bible reader that's just doing it out of an intellectual pursuit and someone who's really honestly desiring to grow in a walk with God is that we're going to God's word, we're, we're entering into that time and, and having our hearts and our minds open to speak with the Lord in prayer, inviting God's spirit to work in us it's all about a relationship in which we're seeking to worship God alone and, and not have any other gods ahead of him. So that there's a time of examination and reflection. And Jesus reminds us of the importance of that, but he also reminds us of the importance of, of laying down our lives so that we might embrace the role of servant. Jesus not only came and demonstrated what it means to live a life as a servant, he called us to be servants. And our time in God's word is to help prepare us to be servants who serve others. And in serving others, we're serving Christ. We serve others and in, 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 in doing that, we, we are representing our hearts 
service to God. God invites us to, to embrace him, to make him our sole focus and our devotion and our worship. But he also invites us to serve. And Christ gives us the incredible example, flips the temptation that he's being faced of just taking the shortcut, getting ahead. What most leaders today would, would try to do, if there's a shortcut, they're going to take it to get ahead. Jesus had a single focused devotion on worshiping the Lord, his, his Father, and embracing the plan that God had for him, embracing the role of a servant. The third temptation, verse 9, it says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Two things here to think about. One, the temptation here that's being presented to say that Jesus could just throw himself down and he could call out upon the angels to, to guard him, to keep him safe. The, the reality is Jesus had the power, he had the privilege in who he was that he could, I believe, have called down the angels. But Jesus, again, instead of embracing his privilege, we, we know in, in um, Philippians 2, and in, in other places through the New Testament, we see this description of, of, of Jesus emptying himself, laying down his rights, not claiming his, his position, but laying down his rights so that he might embrace the cross. In this moment, we see that there are things that maybe Jesus could have done, but Jesus understood that wasn't the Father's plan. And again, this is connected really closely to the previous temptation. He understood that he was embracing the Father's plan, not only for him, but for all of humanity. He was embracing the plan that the Father had for him. Jesus was the lamb who is described as being the lamb who was slayed before the foundations of the earth. Before the foundations of this earth were laid, it was already the Father's intent that Jesus would be the sacrificial lamb of God. Jesus understood that he wasn't in these moments to, to claim his, his privilege or, or to use his power in some way that would be self-serving, but he was embracing the truth in the, in, the, in, the, in the call that the Father had laid on his life. Before we say more on that, though, I want you to also catch verse 10, that phrase, for it is written. Did you catch the twist here? That's not Jesus talking here. This is part of Satan's temptation. He's actually quoting scripture. He's, he's using the scripture, but he's twisting it. Instead of understanding the heart of the message, he's twisting it to try to, to tempt Jesus to do something that would be outside of the Father's plan for him. And, and we need to understand the importance that it's not enough to just know the scripture. It's not enough to just have it be something that's in our head. And even the idea that how Jesus is responding in, in responding with scripture to each temptation, it's more than just, well, I need to know the exact verse and I need to quote so that I can face that temptation. 
It's what you see is Jesus is just, this is just like coming out of his heart and out of his life is like a well because he has soaked his life in the scriptures. He's walking in the power of the spirit. He's seeking to, to be walking in obedience to his heavenly father. And he's embracing the, the task that the father has given him. And he's not just quoting scriptures in the sense of some intellectual exercise. He's, he understands the intent of the scripture. And, and that's where we have to look in our own hearts and our own lives to say, are we in God's word in such a way that it's not just an intellectual pursuit? It's not just that we can just check off week six in the Mission 119 project. We approach God's word, we go to the Lord in prayer, we, we seek God's spirit to be working in our hearts and our lives because God has invited us to be in a relationship with him. And, and it's in this relationship that's a living relationship that, it, that it's not just something, again, this is like three weeks in a row, I think we're referencing, Katie pointed out that idea of going from the head to the heart. I believe I referenced that again last week. Our faith and our getting into God's word has to move beyond an intellectual pursuit. It has to be something that's real and genuine in our hearts and our lives, something that we trust, something that we're willing to obey, something we're willing to build our lives around. Jesus, in this moment, he's on the pinnacle of the temple. Satan's like, just throw yourself down. You can call on the angels. They'll, they'll come, they'll protect you. He quotes the scripture. He's twisting it. He's, he's using God's word. Imagine, I, I have to think there's a struggle in this, uh, Jesus, the son, knowing that Satan is twisting the words of the father. He's twisting God's word in this moment to try to trick him, to, to, to guide him away from the father's plan for him. Jesus says in verse 12, he answers him, it is said, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. It's not, an, I mean, for him to jump out, he's going to be testing God, and, and that's a whole other message, and I think we could go deeper in that. But I, I want us to really focus on, on, on what Jesus does in this moment, is he, he demonstrates the importance of, of knowing and doing God's will not seeking something that's self-serving in this moment, but he's knowing and doing the will of his father. And, and this is where this encounter, I mean, towards the end of this section we read, that Satan then departed until an opportune time. We know that one of the places we see Satan kind of assume a similar role is in Luke 22 in the, in the Gethsemane. Where Jesus calls just a small band of disciples and, and he says, look, pr come pray with me so you don't fall into temptation. And in this, you have an incredible statement by Jesus in his prayer. Jesus is, on, this is the night before the crucifixion. Jesus, I believe, fully understands what's about to happen in his life. He's, he's gonna be betrayed by one of his own within moments. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to go to the cross and experience a horrific death. And he's going to lay down his life and, and he's going to do it willingly. While Jesus, I believe, would have had the hope and the trust of resurrection, 
That doesn't change what Jesus was wrestling with at Gethsemane and, and understanding what he was embracing in that moment. And Jesus utters these words that are so critical. And, and, and again, on this idea of, of understanding the importance of knowing and doing God's will out of, out of, a, of a faithful obedience to our a relationship with the Father. Verse, verse 42, Luke twenty two forty two. he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. If you can take the pain, if you can take the suffering, if you can take all that I'm about to endure, come up with plan, another plan. If you're willing, take it from me. Remember what he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus understood what he's about to experience, and, and, he, and he said, Lord, I mean, you imagine the amount of intensity. The, I mean, the description is, is like he was, he was sweating so much, it was like drops of blood. Imagine what he's about to, about to experience, and what he's even experiencing in that moment. With, I mean, we've, had, we've all experienced sleepless nights, before a, a difficult meeting or a difficult decision or some difficult season in our life. Imagine what Jesus was experiencing, and yet he asked, he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup of suffering. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus demonstrates what it means to go to the Lord, to go to his word, to go to the Lord and, and invite his spirit to be working in us in a living relationship where we trust the word of God, where we trust the spirit of God working in our life. That we're not only trusting him, we're walking in obedience, but we're willing to lay down our lives, surrendering our lives, moving beyond an, an intellectual understanding of knowing the truth, but but doing and embrace, embracing and doing his will in our life. Jesus went on to do all the work on the cross and in his resurrection that makes the way for us to have a relationship with God. Jesus died on the cross in our place, suffering and dying and, and paying the penalty for our sin so that we could have a relationship with our creator. By putting our faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us, we can be restored to a relationship with God, our creator, and we can have the hope of resurrection, that in the same way Jesus rose again, we can have the hope of resurrection. Everything Jesus did in the cross and in his resurrection is central to who we are and, and what we believe, and yet we need to make sure that we also don't forget Jesus' example. Jesus is the way, but he also shows us the way. In living the life, he shows us how we are to live. And in this moment, I believe Jesus is demonstrating again what he then will demonstrate at Gethsemane, that he wasn't going to take a shortcut. He wasn't going to do something that was self-seeking. He was going to embrace the Father's will. And he surrendered his life for that purpose. In our lives, we need to, I believe, look at this passage and remember some simple truths. And I just want to remind you some of the truths we see in this passage. We see the importance of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Again, if Jesus needed to depend upon the fullness of the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, sign me up. We can't, if, if Jesus depended upon the Spirit of God and, and Jesus is the Son of God, how much more do we, as Christ followers, need to embrace in the, the work of the Holy Spirit and invite God's Spirit to fill us anew each day? And you can't be led by the Spirit unless you're surrendered and yielded to his spirit. 
You see the importance of hiding God's word in our hearts. I mean, the temptation story just, just visually demonstrates Psalm 119, 10, and 11, what it means to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against God. We see the importance of trust and obedience. We see the importance of worshiping and serving God alone. And we see the importance of knowing and doing God's will, of laying down our agenda, laying down our plans, laying down our wants, and embracing all that God has for us. I know the worship team, I believe, is closing with Build My Life. Is that right? Okay. One of my favorite choruses. I think it just reminds us not only of the love of God for us, but it reminds us a lot of what we've just talked about this morning, about building our life upon the word of God. Not as an intellectual exercise. I, I say that to say our mind should be involved in the process. It's not, don't check your brain out. But it's not just our mind our mind and our hearts, our whole being, building our lives upon his word. I'm going to offer a word of prayer as the worship team comes. I just want to encourage you that really, whether you're doing the Mission 119 or you're doing some other reading of scripture during the week, examine your own heart and your own life and according to what we've reflected upon today. And, and take the steps in your life to, to, if there's an area in your life in any of these points that, that you feel like you're off track, remember, confess it. Confess it to the Lord. Repent. Turn away from what you've been doing and turning to what God is calling you to do. But let's embrace time, however, however you're doing it this week, let's embrace time where we're sitting before God's word, inviting his spirit to speak to us so that we can embrace the Father's will for our life. You pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that even in this moment, Lord, as we reflect upon these words and as we sing the song in closing, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be free to move and work, not only in the sanctuary, but through those that are watching at home. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be speaking to hearts. Your spirit would, would bring to mind the, the specific passages of your word to their minds and their hearts, Lord, that they would, in that moment, choose to trust you in your plan. Lord, may we build our lives upon you in your word. Amen.